Welcome to the Krista CMS Educational Podcast Series. My name is Michael Williams and I'll be your host. Our next episode will focus on neonatal resuscitation of a newborn patient. And this month joining us will be Dr. Brandon Euler, Associate Medical Director for Krista CMS and Paramedic EMS Educational Coordinator, Jason Barnett. This episode will continue last month's uncomplicated delivery of the newborn patient. So sit back, get ready for neonatal resuscitation. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is the um, Krista CMS Educational Podcast Series, and uh, I am your host, Michael Williams. I'll be here with uh, Dr. Brandon Euler. Yeah, and today we've got a guest with us. Yeah, who is this person that's sitting in the room? My name's Jason Barnett. I'm sure most of y'all know Jason. Yeah, if you don't, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm the new clinical education coordinator here in the office. I say new, been here almost a year now. I was going to say, when does new wear off? (laughs) When somebody else comes in. been been with the organization and ministry now 10 years um, as a paramedic and EMT field supervisor uh, coming out of the field into the education to help pass along some of my gained knowledge. There you go. Well, we're excited to have you with us today and hopefully you can help us um, educate everybody on what our goal is today uh, and that's neonatal resuscitation. Kind of following up on last month's of uncomplicated uh, spontaneous vaginal deliveries. Um, I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, we are excited uh, here to start off 2023. We look forward to working with everyone and, and uh, see what 2023 has in store for us. Yeah, it's already the 17th of January. Oh, yeah. And I was just looking at our run numbers. We are already, uh, like yesterday, at 2000 plus. Wow. And I was like going, what? What? This and is just the, the 17th. 17th day into the year. I was like, wow, okay, that's crazy. A couple updates, some news. Um, We've noticed um, that people are using the automated cardiac compression device. Uh, We are thrilled about that. We want y'all to continue using that, give us feedback. We do ask whenever y'all are documenting use of the ACCD that you use specifically ACCD, uh, do not document the device as a thumper or Lucas device. Um, for documentation purposes, we want you to use ACCD. That it's our, and eventually we will actually have a, um, an intervention key that will actually have that. So they need to be looking for the ACCD, um, as the, uh, the device itself. And you sent an email out here recently too, about the code stats and uploading them with the Mm -hmm. tips and yeah, we're, we're doing a lot better, everyone. I want to thank you for your efforts and being aware of it, though we still have a few that are kind of lingering behind, forgetting and all that. Uh, they need to. We just need to remind uh, ourselves and others to step up and put the last name in for sure and upload all data. Yep, awesome. Um, Jason, do you have any news or anything? No, just the only thing I'd say is start to look in um, as far as the educational side. Um, We've teamed up with flight to start going out into our FROs and doing some training for those first responder organizations. For example, we'll be in Canton um, Fire Department Thursday with the flight sim trailer doing pediatric airway resuscitation training for the Van Zandt County, Canton and South Van Zandt County Fire Department. Awesome. Hey. Awesome. 
All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get started on our uh, discussion today. Uh, so last month, I hope everybody was able to listen to the podcast on uncomplicated, spontaneous vaginal deliveries. I hope that was beneficial to you. Uh, we want to segue into a neonatal resuscitation. Uh, so essentially you've delivered a baby, um, it needs to be resuscitated. So we want you to be prepared for whenever that happens. Uh, so to <laughs> kind of set it up, I, I came up with a little bit of scenario. Um, so dispatch is called um, and you are called out to a 34 year old female. Uh, she's reported to be 39 weeks pregnant uh, and she calls because she's having some abdominal pain and feels like she's having contractions. You arrive to patient's home. Uh, she does appear to be stated age. She is in mild distress. Uh, she tells you that she started having some contractions, some abdominal pain about an hour ago, feels like previous pregnancies and contractions, and she knows to gush of fluids. Um, she has not had any complications with this pregnancy. You get vital signs on mother. Um, she has a, a blood pressure of 130 over 72, heart rate of 114. She's setting 100% on room air, respiratory rate of 17. As you're doing your assessment, you're talking with her, uh, moving her into the ambulance. Uh, she starts telling you that she feels a lot of pressure in her lower abdomen. Uh, she feels like she's going to have a bowel movement mm -hmm. uh, and having increased frequency of contractions. So after listening to last month's podcast, um, you astutely uh, decide it's time to do a vaginal exam. And when you do that, you notice crowning. So you prepare to uh, deliver um, the neonate. After delivery, um, you notice a pale, limp uh, neonate, has no muscle tone. Uh, you attempt to palpate a pulse umbilically uh, and notice a uh, pulse rate of 85. You also notice a slow respiratory rate. So you give an APGAR score of four. Uh, so this is a sick neonate, uh, as from the description you can tell. Um, so we want to talk about neonatal resuscitation and, and where to go from here. Uh, so kind of a quick, as I like to do, give you some statistics, some kind of global information. So approximately 10% of newborns need help breathing at birth. 1% may need resuscitation and resuscitative measures. Uh, the neonate um, mortality rate in the United States and Canada has fallen from about 20 per 1,000 live births in the 1960s to currently four per 1,000 live births. And I think that's an, an uh, attestment to what y'all do, the care y'all provide uh, for patients uh, pre-hospital and then with uh, the care that we provide in the hospital um, and then with neonates recitation programs being put out. Uh, so neonates are in a very unique um, situation in that resuscitation is necessary because they have a failure to transition from fetal circulation to postnatal circulation. Uh, and this is triggered by decreased pulmonary vascular resistance with them taking their first breath. And looking, go ahead. I was gonna ask you a question. Uh -huh. <clears throat> neonate, mm -hmm. what is the definition of a neonate in a timeline? So I, I, a neonate <clears throat> is within that first week or so of birth. So, okay. um, you know, a neonate from delivery, and I, in my mind, I look at it from about a week, uh, from birth to about a week. Okay. Now you may, be able to broaden that definition a little bit. Um, but once the neon, once a, a baby neonate mm -hmm. leaves the hospital, they're out of the NICU, the NICU doesn't take them back. They're now considered a pediatric infant and the pediatric team takes over. Okay. All right. Um, um, so 
resuscitating a newborn uh, in a neonate is is a very stressful situation. Um, it's considered a halo situation, so high acuity, low opportunity. Uh, 90% of births are going to be uncomplicated, requiring a quick overall assessment of the, of the baby, uh, clamping, cutting the cord, placing the baby on mom's chest. Um, there are going to be situations where that's not going to be the case, and being pre-hospital, that may be a situation that you're in. So the focus is going to be on rapidly uh, assessing uh, the neonate for the respiratory rate and assisting as appropriate. Uh, most of the time, these these babies need help with breathing uh, and their their respiratory drive. So you have a golden <clears throat> 90 seconds with these infants and these neonates of drying, stimulating, and initiating positive pressure ventilation. And oftentimes, this is just with BLS measures. You say 90 seconds. That's that's a minute and a half. <laughs> so would you say that if we suspect any complications, that might take longer to set the, the to pull all the equipment yep. out to do? I think if you a have minute and a half, if right? You have if you have a pregnant patient and you are potential to, to deliver, uh -huh. you need to be prepared to resuscitate an infant as well as so you're deliver. pulling your equipment you out. You should have everything with laid you. out. Take the red bag with you. Well you could just grab it. Yep. Okay. Take your care to the patient. Take your care to oh, the patient. I like it. That's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> we never talk about that. No. <laughs> um, so as you already know, there are a lot of unique challenges uh, in EMS and pre-hospital caring for neonates. Uh, it's the infrequency and in calls. Uh, it's having age-appropriate equipment. It's the very unpredictable nature of the pre-hospital environment being in somebody's home, not in a controlled situation, and with neonates having a different anatomy, physiology than adults and even older kids uh, with an, a much higher incidence of hypothermia and hypoglycemia. So when you're approaching these patients, you have this neonate, uh, APGAR of four, um, decreased uh, heart rate, bradycardic, decreased respiratory drive. Focus is gonna be on ABC. Uh, so you wanna recruit the lungs using positive pressure support, you know, oxygenate and ventilate. Those are the things that you really need to focus on. So we've talked about it. We've mentioned it. Be prepared. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to a pregnant patient, you're concerned that they may be delivering uh, in an active labor, be prepared. So this patient was basically, I'm going back and trying to remember, mm -hmm. what was what was their heart rate? So the neonate was 85. And, of 85. and they had a very slow, slow respiratory. respiratory rate. Do you think they actually had full lung expansion? Probably not which that's what the mechanism, like you said, that yep. actually changes the fetal circulation. Yep. Yep. So you might actually have to bag the patient mm -hmm. early. And provide positive pressure ventilation. Okay, and sometimes it depends, of course, if it's vaginal, you get the squeeze, mm -hmm. so that helps, yep. versus if you had them or in the hospital in the C -section with a C-section. Yeah. And then you might actually have to go with increased pressures. Yep. Now the, the pressure, that we're looking at not exceeding is 40 centimeters, right? That's the high so, yeah. end of it. Yeah. Cause that's where most of our pop-up valves for our BVMs are. Yep. So, yep. And I will actually get more into that. Um, if we get a little bit further down. Um, so Michael makes some great points and, and keep those in mind and be prepared for resuscitating this neonate. Um, prepare yourself, prepare your team, um, positive self-talk. You want to visualize what you're doing in your mind, be prepared for what you're going to have to do step by step. And 
call for help, call for backup if you need it. Uh, so things you need to have with you, you should have in your red bag, ET tubes, a Brasso tape, we have the hand heavy app, one scope, uh, BVM, clamp, scissors, towels, and suction. So again, and I'm probably going to say a lot of <clears throat> things about the goals of resuscitation, but it's to warm the patient, get them to be pink and sweet. So warm, pink, and sweet. Those sweet. are the goals. So sweet. avoid hypoglycemia. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, aren't all babies sweet? <laughs> all babies are sweet. <laughs> Until they're hypoglycemic. Then okay. they're not. <laughs> all right. So um, you want to look at term, tone, crying. This was a 39-week gestation. So they were term. Uh, if they're term, they have good tone, strong cry. Uh, you may position the airway. You may dry them and then place them on mother's chest. But they had a four. So at GAR four. Yeah. Which uh, normal is 10, right? Mm-hmm. So this is definitely on the This low. is a, a sick, sick newborn. Okay. That needs a lot of resuscitation. Um, so if they're not term, they don't have good tone, uh, or they're not breathing or crying, your priorities are going to be warm, dry the patient, position the airway, and stimulate. Um, I mentioned this last month, but routine suctioning of secretions and, and meconium is no longer recommended unless there is an overt airway obstruction. So we don't need to be routinely suctioning neonates. Now, I've mentioned it a couple of times, we want to warm the patient uh, because newborns are at high risk of losing heat mm -hmm. uh, and becoming hypothermic, uh, which is in associated with increased mortality, intraventricular hemorrhage, respiratory complications, hypoglycemia, and sepsis. So these patients can get really sick. So you want to warm them to prevent the cold stress. Mm -hmm. But at the same time you're warming them, you're providing stimulation. Yeah, right? you're warming, stimulating at the same time. A lot of these things you're going to be doing simultaneously. Yeah. Um, so neonates over 32 weeks gestation with a good tone and restorate may be warmed uh, with just a dry towel and you can place on mother's chest. Neonates under 32 weeks or those with an abnormal tone, respiratory rate, which is what our neonate is, you're going to warm them uh, with a warmer if you have it to 25 degrees Celsius. Um, there are some recommendations to place a wet infant. Don't dry them, but place the wet infant in a plastic bag up to their neck. You can use heated blankets. You can use a thermal mattress. Uh, our target temperature is going to be 36.5 to 37.5 degrees Celsius. So there's a couple options to warm the patient, but, but the goal is, is to warm the patient. Yeah, I don't know about the plastic bag in the back of the ambulance. <laughs> and the back of the ambulance is probably not going to be good. But there are some, you know, going through putting this together, there's some studies and some recommendations by neonatologists to use a bag hmm. to warm the patient. Well, I'm sure that works out fine in the, in the hospital. <laughs> in the NICU, that works. But even the even you talk about a warmer in the back of the ambulance, you know, unless we knew and we got one for the day, we don't carry them. So no. the only warmer we have is what? turning our thermostat up. Turn thermostat up. Up. I mean, you can pop open some heat packs and, and wrap yeah. them in and around the blankets yeah. as you're yeah. um, wrapping that neonate up. So it's not like trauma. If you know you're going to have it, you crank it up. The, yeah. yeah. You need to start sweating. I'm going to be sweating yeah. anyways if we're going to deliver True. a baby. So yeah. at, at this point, comfortable, not you. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's not your comfort. It's the patient. Okay. Um, so for us, it is going to be dry the patient, do everything we can to warm. Okay. Um, so, Again, in a preterm infant under 32 weeks, just to mention it, um, it's recommended that you don't towel dry them, but I think in our situation we would. But we have to be careful because they do have very fragile skin, uh, so just keep that in mind. 
Um, you want to measure the, the heart rate. Uh, an accurate heart rate is very important uh, as it does guide your resuscitation uh, and is the most sensitive indicator for adequate resuscitation. How are you, you going to do it? How am I going to measure okay. the heart rate? Uh -huh. Well, so there's a couple options. Okay. Uh, you can palpate the umbilical stump. It's not very reliable. Palpate the what? Umbilical stump. Oh, the stump. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the umbilicus. Okay. Umbilicus. Okay. Uh, it is not very reliable. You can auscultate. It's not um, reliable. And, oh, wow. No. Okay. Studies show it's not the most reliable. Huh. You can auscultate, uh, but that's going to be difficult in a noisy situation, noisy yeah. environment with mom there. A lot of stress. Um, from what I've read and put together, the most accurate and efficient method is uh, to use a three-lead EKG on a neonate. Okay, that's going to be some small. Very small. Do we carry those? Mm. No. When I came off the truck, we only had one size electrodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think the big thing is going to be to palpate the muckle stump, do the best you can. Yeah. Uh, to get uh, an accurate. That's why I always seen the NICU nurses do it. Is they'll have their stethoscope listening, yeah. and then they, and they're tapping the their finger for somebody else to count. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. And so that way they can figure out what the the heart rate yeah, is. Yeah, I actually like that. That's a good, yeah. good way to do it. Have your partner help you out. Uh huh. All right. So we've gone through measuring the heart rate, drying the patient, warming the patient. Now we want to move on to airway. So some differences in a neonate is they have large tongues, larger tonsils, larger epiglottis, and a large occiput. So intubating these patients is going to be a little bit more difficult, um, along with it's something that we do very infrequently. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is to place the neonate in a sniffing position. You can do that by placing a shoulder roll um, under the shoulders that will shift the head to a more neutral position and a slightly extended position. Um, you may need to, if you do that, use a pillow or some type of headrest to support the head. Um, you don't want to hyperextend. I think that can lead to an obstruction. Um, but doing all of that with the shoulder roll will align the chin with the glebula, which is a smooth part of the forehead, just above the uh, eyebrows, between the eyebrows, and it ensures uh, that the anterior neck space is open and will align the external auditory meatus uh, horizontally to the suprasternal notch. So that's a, the, the sniffing position. Um, you can do a, a jaw thrust, lifting the tongue up. Uh, you can put in OPA, MPA to minimize airway obstruction. And then you want to clear secretions. Again, it's not recommended to do this routinely unless you have complete airway obstruction with secretions or meconium. So now we've gone through airway, you've done your jaw thrust, you put a shoulder roll. Uh, we want to move on to breathing. So if the infant has labored breathing, they're cyanotic, but their heart rate's over 100, you want to reposition, clear the airway if you haven't, which we've already talked about, we've done, we've done the jaw thrust. You want to place uh, an O2 monitor um, and you want to do this pre-ductal. So neonates are born with what's called a ductus arteriosus and mm -hmm. it's an opening between the <clears throat> pulmonary artery and the aortic arch and that shunts blood away from the pulmonary system in utero mm -hmm. after neonates are born that usually closes within 10 to 18 hours sometimes so it, it does so it doesn't do it with the first couple breaths mm -hmm. so that starts to it starts okay. to close but okay. it's not fully closed about 10 to 18 hours several hours oh really okay so it's, it's not, not it like this isn't like it's no. not like an on-off switch. No, and that's why you want to put your O2 monitor on the right arm or right side because mm -hmm. you get a more accurate uh, O2 saturation. How about that? Yeah. 
Um, you want to apply supplemental oxygen as needed, monitor their heart rate. Um, now, if you're neonate, what charge does has a heart rate under 100. You mm -hmm. want to provide positive pressure, pressure ventilation with a target respiratory rate of 40 breaths per minute. Uh, you're going to uh, oxygenate, but ventilation is more important. Um, it takes about 10 minutes for neonates to reach a normal oxygenation level. So talking about the ductus arteriosus, the preductal uh, O2 levels at one minute is going to be about 60 to 65%. At two minutes, it goes 65 to 70%. At three minutes, it goes up to 70 to 75%. Four minutes, 75 to 80%. Five minutes, 80 to 85 and at 10 minutes, you'll get 85 to 95%. So it takes about 10 minutes for that preductal O2 to get to a normal oxygen saturation rate. So don't freak out when you don't first freak put out. it on Don't there. panic. Don't panic. Yeah. Also, don't use 100% FiO2 when you're resuscitating neonates mm -hmm. because that increases their risk of mortality. So we want you to use 21% FiO2 in term neonates. Uh, and then in preterm, you may bump up to about 30% FiO2, and you're going to titrate based on your pulse ox. But remember those preductal O2 levels. So we have in our trucks, right? Don't we have a medical grade air? We do. We carry med air. And this would be the preferred piece yeah. that we'd actually right. use. Because you get that our... 21%. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so again, ventilation is key. Um, you want to use a mask that fits the patient that you have in front of you, uh, and that's over the bridge of the nose to chin. For preterms, it's recommended to use a size zero. For term, a size one. Um, you want to ensure that you open the mouth, use a jaw thrust, minimizing pressure on the submental tissue to avoid causing an obstruction. So you don't mm -hmm. want to, on the submental neck, apply a lot of pressure because then you're not going to be able to ventilate. Yeah. And so really, you're not doing downward pressure. You're pulling the mask while pulling yeah, do essentially the jaw thrust while you're applying the mask. Yeah. And a lot of times it may be that this is a two-person thing, one person using the mask, one ventilating. Mm. Um, and that's why we always say, if you need help, call for me. Um, you want to uh, avoid overventilating because you can cause a pneumothorax, cause a pneumomediastinum. And then you want to provide adequate ventilation to get chest rise or a positive inspiratory pressure of 20. So when you say overventilation, I first I think it was right. But what you're yeah. really talking about is lung expansion. Yeah, you don't want to squeeze too hard on a bag, too much, so, too fast. So what is it? It takes me back to American Heart Association. You know, all we're doing is enough to see what? Adequate chest rise and fall. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Chest that's rise it. and chest fall. Yeah. Yeah. So if we have the wrong size bag or whatever, because that happens, mm -hmm. sometimes things happen and you go, oh my gosh. So you use that mask. You're just going to do enough to see that chest, get rise. That chest rise. Yep. Even on the even on the right size, you might yep. not use the whole thing. Yep. So, yep. Just okay. enough to get chest rise, let it fall, chest rise, fall. Um, so we can provide positive pressure ventilation with a T-piece resuscitator or a flow inflating bag. Um, this will give a PEEP of 5 to 8 and a positive inspiratory pressure of 20 or less. I'm not sure. Do we? Do you all know how we... So we don't have a flow and fading. That's usually the NICU team mm -hmm. that has that. Um, so we have the self-inflating. Self-inflating. Mm -hmm. And in the smaller ones, it'll actually have with the pop-off valve that you can occlude to increase pressures greater than 40, but not recommended. Yeah. Um, so... You've done all this, but for some reason you're not able to ventilate the patient. You're not getting adequate chest rise. Um, then we need to correct um, our ventilation and take steps to do that. And there's actually a mnemonic 
I think I've mentioned this before, I like mnemonics. So Mr. Sopa is a mnemonic to correct uh, inadequate ventilation or difficulty in ventilation. Um, and so if, if you reassess your patient after starting positive pressure ventilation uh, and you're not getting improvement, you want to look at, do you need to make a mask adjustment? Mm -hmm. Do you need to reposition? Do you need to suction? I know it's not recommended, but you may have an obstruction. You may need to suction out secretions, meconium. Do you need to open the mouth more? Um, adjust your jaw thrust. Um, do you need to increase your uh, pressure to a PEEP of six to eight uh, and then uh, positive pressure ventilation uh, greater than 20 with a max to 40, which I think you mentioned earlier. Uh, and then do you need to place an advanced airway? Do you need to put a superglottic airway or even intubate the patient? Mr. Sopa. Mr. Sopa, yeah. Hmm. Um, so we've gone through all that. You've warmed the patient, you've dried them, you've positioned the airway, you're oxygenating, ventilating, uh, but they are still bradycardic. So our patient was bradycardic uh, at 85. Um, so if they're bradycardic with a rate under 100, after 30 seconds of positive pressure ventilation, you want to reassess the heart rate. If it's over 100, continue with positive pressure ventilation. With room air, with 21%. percent. Yep. So, okay. Yep. And the important key is to remember those pre-ductal uh, O2 levels. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it takes about 10 minutes to get to a normal oxygen saturation. Um, if your heart rate is less than 60, you need to establish adequate ventilation before beginning chest compressions because ventilation is the main priority. So if you've gone through Mr. Sofa, you've done everything, you've adjusted, you've got good ventilation, um, but your heart rate is still less than 60, then you need to start chest compressions. Uh, and you may have to place an advanced airway to, to ensure that you're getting good ventilation. Hmm. The goal is to establish <clears throat> a, an advanced airway within 40 seconds uh, as delays beyond this are associated with increased morbidity and mortality. I know hmm. 40 seconds is very fast. Yes, it is. And not everything's going to go like what is recommended in all the studies. <laughs> so just be mindful that if you're not getting good ventilation, be prepared to uh, intubate or place an advanced airway. Seems like in the neonatal resuscitation algorithm, everything's on the 30 second it's assessment. It's all 30 seconds. Yep. 30 second, 30 second, yep. 30 second. Well, it comes so. down to that 90 second golden, yeah. Yeah. golden rule. Um, so placing an advanced airway may be something that you have to do. So consider a supraglottic airway, IGEL, <clears throat> IGEL rather than BVM or an ET tube uh, in neonates over 34 weeks gestation. There is a review, a Cochrane review from 2018 that showed a supraglottic airway showed comparable efficacy to um, endotracheal intubation. Hmm. However, um, neonates under 34 weeks cannot utilize a supraglottic airway or in infants that are under 1.5 kilograms. <clears throat> and there's no evidence for giving epinephrine through a supraglottic airway. So these patients would not be a good candidate for our vent or any of that yep. because our, doesn't Jason Arvent has some limitations when it comes to size and weight? Yeah, less than 10 pounds. Yeah. It's, it's not going to work. Um, keep in mind with the mask, these these kids, we're not going to be able to put um, straps on to secure yep. that mask. So we're going to be have, have to be mindful and be a little bit more intricate with these, with these neonates, which is more hands-on um, things, using the BBMs, holding the mask to ensure proper seats of those masks to make sure that we're oxygenating and ventilating these kids to where they need to be yeah. to get them resuscitated. Good deal. Go. All right. So um, you are looking at advanced airway. You've considered a supraglottic airway. 
Um, if you need to intubate, um, you need to know the equipment you need, the size of tubes you need. So in an infant that is, or neonate that is less than 28 weeks gestation, you're gonna use a 2.5 millimeter ET tube. 28 to 34 weeks, a 3.0 millimeter tube. 34 to 38 weeks, a 3.5 millimeter ET tube. And then any uh, neonate at 38 weeks gestation or older, 3.5 to 4.0 millimeter ET tube. And then the blade size for these, it's it's gonna be classified as term or preterm. So term infants um, use a 3.5 millimeter, number one millimeter, or Miller, sorry, Miller ET tube. Preterm infants, you're gonna use a 3.0 millimeter, uh, zero Miller um, laryngoscope. Now we talked about blades, Millers and Max, and, and I think that, um, there are some people will say preferences and stuff yes. on, on that, right? So these are what are recommended. Yes. Okay? Um, looking at all the, the neonatal resuscitation guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, I personally do not like a Miller, so I use a Mac. Uh, and a lot of times in young patients, I can use a Mac just like I do a Miller and I can pick up the epiglottis. Yes. But, but these are what's recommended. I think you need to be comfortable with the Miller mm -hmm. um, and a Mac as well. Because the Miller, in essence, is going to pick up epiglottis. Mm -hmm. and, they and that's tend what a Miller be... is made for, is to pick up the epiglottis. Yeah. Where a Miller, if you want to use it like a Mac, it's much more difficult to get into the uh, epiglottic fold yeah. uh, to use it like a Mac. Yeah. And then with our one scopes, we only have the one option yeah. of that yeah. uh, Mac style yeah. uh, curve yeah. uh, uh -huh. on those blades. So, you know, I think the recommendation would be to use the one scope. Yeah. And if you're not able to get that neonate open enough to confirm yeah. the two placement yeah then go back to the direct yeah. with whichever blade you're and that's why we with. have them in there right? Yeah. Right. you can so, even use the one scope blade like a miller right and still have that video um, mm -hmm. that gives you a better definition and visualization of the cords um so you've got your your tube you've got your your laryngoscope ready or one scope um you need to intubate the patient, uh, and the ET tube should be a depth of about six plus their weight in kilograms. I know we're probably not going to have a weight, um, so do the best you can. Um, Usually they have a little right. black line. There. And they have a black line, yeah. And so we just want that black line to be yep. past the yep. If you cords, see it go through the right? cords, uh -huh. you're far enough. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We don't um, want their belly button to be poking. No, we do not. <laughs> no, please don't do that. And then that's no, why right. we always confirm to... placement by auscultation yep. as well, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't hear breath sounds on the left side, then you know you went like right main stem. Yeah. So you can pull back, back just a very yeah. small yep. bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, if you're having trouble after you've intubated the patient, uh, there's an ammonia called DOPE, uh, and this is to assess for complications with the ET tube. So is it displaced? Has it been dislodged outside of the cords? You may need to take another look, auscultate. Make sure that's not the case. Is there some type of obstruction to the tube? Do you need to section the tube out? Mm -hmm. Is there a pneumothorax? Um, did intubation cause a pneumothorax? Uh, or is there some type of equipment failure with the ventilator? <clears throat> so I always recommend if you have problems ventilating after you've intubated, you hear breath sounds bilaterally, take them off the ventilator. If you have them on one, um, it sounds like we won't have that ability because mm -hmm. our ventilator isn't in, made to do that. Yeah. Um, but if for some reason you do have them on a ventilator, take them off, use a BBM. Uh, the bag to, to with the ET tube to ventilate. How's your philosophy on, let's say you're a second medic, uh, medic that comes in, or even the same medic that actually intubated, and all of a sudden we start having a complication, we go through dope. 
where you just go ahead and grab the scope and look again. Yeah, I, I'm all about that. Take a look. It's not a problem mm -hmm. with that. No. Yeah. Obviously, we want you to be careful. <clears throat> you need to reduce the, the risk of trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if, if you need to take a second look because you're having trouble, take another look. Mm -hmm. Or you're another medic coming or, in, taking yeah. over care, and you want to yeah. make sure and confirm. Yeah. 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 I do that a lot in the ER. Um, I intubate a patient. We have some issues with, with ventilating, oxygenating. Uh, I'll get the glide scope that we mm -hmm. have and I'll take a look, just visualize, make sure that my tube is in correct position and yeah. End titles on End titles on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've intubated the patient. Now you need to start chest compressions. Um, you've provided adequate ventilation, you've intubated or placed a supraglottic airway. So when we're doing compressions on these neonates, you're going to use a two thumb technique. Um, you place both thumbs on the lower one third of the sternum and you're compressed to one third the chest diameter. And you compress at a rate of three to one, coordinated with positive pressure ventilation. So everybody out there is saying, what? You, did you say three to one? <laughs> if the patient's intubated, you can do synchronous. Yeah, that is neonatal resuscitation. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely different from yes. everything that we learn yep. when it comes to child and adult CPR. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and then you're going to perform chest compressions for 60 seconds uh, between pulse checks. You're going to obtain vascular access. Um, we do not have umbilical, umbilical venous catheters. Um, and so that's not something that you'll be able to do pre-hospital, uh, getting IV on these neonates is going to be extremely difficult. Well, let me ask you this. I've seen some teaching where they've actually used our catheters that with the needles mm -hmm. and actually put those in yeah. or, or actually pierced from the side through. But if you were to look at it from the, the top where you cut, Typically, there's three vessels. Mm -hmm. There's two small ones, and then there's mm -hmm. one large one. Yep. Um, I was always told that you feed the mouth, and the large one looks like a mouth, and the yep. two little eyes, so you can actually put like that 14 gauge yep. into plastic. that larger one, which is the vein. The uh -huh. two are the arteries. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's actually a good thought is to use an angiocath or something like that. Yeah. Without the needle. Yeah. 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 Without the needle, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you don't use the needle. <laughs> um, the other option is if you need to place an IO. Um, so you've intubated the patient, you're providing positive pressure ventilation, you're starting compressions, but the heart rate remains less than 60 um, mm. after 90 seconds of CPR. Now, what do you do? So say you don't have an IV, um, you need to give epinephrine. That can be given through an uh, endotracheal an tube or mm -hmm. IO. Well, I was gonna say one other thing about that IO. Uh, I've seen th those bones are so small and so fragile. I don't think that a lot of the medics are going to turn around and use that drill probably to try probably to drill. Not. They're probably just going to be because the, the bones are so, so yeah. soft that yeah. they could actually just use their hands, use your hands and, and rotate them back and yep. forth. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, the dose of epinephrine is going to be 0.1 mils per kilogram. And that is IV or IO. Mm. Um, you can also do it uh, endotracheally. Uh, and then fluids after What's recommended is 120 seconds of positive pressure ventilation, 90 seconds of compressions. Consider starting them on a fluid bolus, uh, and that's going to be at 10 milligrams per kilogram, uh, and you want to do that over 20 minutes. Um, neonatal arrest is rarely due to hypovolemia, so fluid recitation is, should not be at the top of your priority list. Uh, and then glucose, remember I said you want to keep them warm, dry, sweet. So you want to make sure they're not hypoglycemic. You want to check a, a capillary glucose level. If they are hypoglycemic, 
uh, which in preterm infants is going to be less than 30 to 35, and term neonates less than 35 to 40. I'm glad you brought that up because everybody thinks adults, right? Yeah. And the, it's the 60 number. Yeah. You want to so, shoot for that 60, 200. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Now in neonates, it's going to be it's going to be much lower. Uh, if they are hypoglycemic, you want to provide two milliliters per kilogram of DW, DW10 within 30 minutes to avoid them uh, having worsened hypoglycemia. Um, so going through all that, um, you, the neonate that we had in our case, you intubated them, um, you start compression, start epinephrine, um, and their heart rate goes up, you transport to the ER, um, where they take over care. Um, so hopefully going through all that kind of one, um, provides you a refresher on neonatal resuscitation. Um, if y'all have questions, please let us know. Uh, again, goals of resuscitating a neonate, another mnemonic is going to be stable, uh, S-T-A-B-L-E. So sugar, mm -hmm. temperature, airway, breathing, labs, which you won't necessarily have, and yeah. emotional support <clears throat> to mother, uh, father. Um, these are very infrequent cases that we have, but I think it's important that y'all know and be prepared to resuscitate a neonate um, out there uh, pre-hospital. That way, when it does happen to you, because it will happen, mm. um, be prepared, uh, visualize it, know what you're doing. Um, again, let us know if you all have any questions. Um, Jason, you have any no, sir. thoughts? What do you think about it? I think it was a good case. Um, you know, like like Doc mentioned several times, in my 10 years of working with an ambulance, mm -hmm. I never once touched a neonate. In, in this type of scenario, I was a part of several NICU transfers mm -hmm. and, and such, but as far as me actually having to care for a neonate in the field, never got the opportunity, and that was in 10 years. Yeah. Um, I know some medics and EMTs, they've delivered and been a part of 10 to 20, you know, and it, it's it's all just by case and, and, and how the, the cards sure. fall, um, but it is a very low frequency call and and i think it was a good uh, a good case to go over so people have the opportunity just to keep it fresh in their minds i think what's important about these specialty cases is that we do think about it and uh, mentally go through the process and physically look at our equipment when we're checking off our trucks to make sure that we have everything and know what those steps are going to look like and if we're mentally prepared <clears throat> in and when it does happen in our system it does we've had a few here recently um, then it would, it, I think that we'll be able, we'll be yeah. able to perform a lot better in, in those scenarios. And being prepared is more than just having our equipment ready yeah. to go. Yeah. You know, it's, it's much like an athlete going out and practicing every day mentally to be able, being prepared. To, be able to perform, mm -hmm. right? That's what these cases are for is to mentally have us walk through these scenarios. So whenever it is go time, we can replay yeah these practice sessions in our mind and say, okay, this is what I need to do and just kind of kick it back to that yep. muscle memory. Yep. When you're going out to a scene, um, what I do in the ER, when I know that y'all are bringing me a patient, when I hear the, 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 the call in that y'all are transporting a patient to us, in my mind, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to have to do. I'm picturing in my mind what the patient's going to look like, what their vital signs may be like from what you tell us. Uh, and then in my mind, I'm going step by step what I may have to do once I get to the ER as far as procedures, medications. So I would recommend 
if you can do the same thing when you're going to a patient, mm-hmm. start thinking in your mind about what could happen and mm-hmm. be prepared mentally. That's hand TV. Mm-hmm. That that is the whole premise of why we got that app for everyone is that they are on their way to that call. They can pull that yeah. up, reflect on those pieces, yeah. and and mentally have that available. But also they'll look at it, so yeah. the recall will be a lot yeah. <clears throat> easier because they just looked at it, yeah. and uh, I think they'll be mentally prepared. You know, and that, and that's what I teach. What you were just talking about, Doc. That's what I teach to the paramedic class that I'm in. If it's PSTLS, AMLS, whatever classes I'm teaching is when we're on the road to that call, you need to be thinking, okay, dispatch gives you the nature of the call. In that nature, what subcategories do I need to put in my box? Mm -hmm. When I walk into that house and I do a full detailed assessment, then I have these ready to go in my box. And then I start pulling out what I need to go down the, the, the CPG lanes to be able to treat those patients. You may not need at each box. Right. But you'll, in your mind, be ready mm-hmm. for it if you do. Absolutely. Yeah. This awesome. is great. Yeah. It's well, great. We appreciate y'all listening. Hopefully uh, this was something that you could learn from. Again, if y'all have any questions, um, if y'all have any suggestions on future podcasts, let us know. Um, we will see y'all next month. Sounds good. Bye.